0: the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're about to experience the other society. Prepare yourself for an independent, unscripted, and unedited conversation about the past, present, and future of the relationship between technology and humanity. Our goal is to share information and inspire action so that technology can be utilized to make our world a better place for everyone. The Other Society is not just a vision, it is a movement, and you can join it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: And just like that, we are in The Other Society. Welcome, everybody, for uh, a new episode of our Smart Cities series. Uh, This is episode two of 3Plan. We're going to get into more of those soon. I'm going to take this moment to welcome everybody. Uh, This is, as I mentioned, the Other Society, where we bring together experts to talk about the things we need to talk about for our future, where technology can help us live in a world that we want to live in, and and uh, where technology serves us and not the other way around, uh, it's all about humanity, and uh, we have the power to define what that looks like. Today's topic is around smart cities, and we're doing a series of three three conversations. The first one was an introduction of what is a smart city. We looked at, uh, yeah, what what's all what's it all about? Uh, what's the What's the genesis of a contemporary city, and, and how does that come together? We explored some of the issues that we're facing today uh, in creating and defining and developing smart cities, and we identified some of the challenges that come along the way with that. In today's episode, we're going to get into the tech deep dive, which I'm excited about. I'm a, I'm a nerd by nature. And uh, we're going to figure out what what's involved from a technology perspective when it goes comes to building a smart city. So without further ado, I want to take a moment to introduce my co-host who's going to help lead and also participate in today's conversation, Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal. He uh, was not only the former CIO of the city of Palo Alto, so he knows a little bit about what a a city is and uh, what a smart city is, but he also wrote the book, and not just one book on smart city, multiple books, and not just books for me, the dummy, <laughs> but books for kids as well on smart cities. So it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Jonathan, to be part of this with you. Let's uh, let's get dirty in in tech and uh, figure out what it's going to take to build a smart city that we all want.
2: Yeah, thanks, thanks, Sean. It's great to be here again. Episode two, we had a fantastic response to episode one. So uh, we're talking about things I think that matter and things that people are interested in. Uh, so I think we're in the right place. Uh, and this will take us then uh, next month to the final of these three episodes where we talk about the future. So today's really cool because, as you say, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit, I get into the tech. This is an episode all about urban tech, uh, how it's been implemented, uh, who are some of the players, what are some of the challenges, and uh, actually looking a little bit about uh, where technology is headed in support of building better communities and better cities. So uh, I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation. And in that conversation, I want to introduce our guests today. Uh, I'll first start with uh, Benson Chan. He is the chief operating officer for uh, a company called Strategy of Things. Uh, He's a co-founder. It's uh, his company. So welcome, Benson. Good to be here, Jonathan. (laughs) Good to have you. Uh, We have uh, Renal uh, Paramel, who is the CEO and co-founder of Strategy of Things. Wonderful to have you here too. Welcome, Renal. Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, Sean. <laughs> um, but we are missing one uh, uh, gentleman, uh, Michael Peggy's. He, uh, he is the Chief Information Officer at the City of Aurora. Um, and as happens in life, he has a bit of a, an emergency. Uh, we hope he's going to do fine. and His family will be fine. And unfortunately, he couldn't make it, but we'll have him back. We'll see him again. Uh, so, best of wishes to you, Michael, and, and your family. Um, so, um, uh, by the way, it, it's been a month since we chatted, Sean, and we had our first show. And uh, it's been a, a very busy month, a quick month. Uh, you know, since I spoke to you last, uh, I traveled over to Saudi Arabia, actually, and uh, went to Riyadh. Uh, city of seven million people under construction and then uh, headed over to El Medina, the second holiest city in the um, uh, Islamic community and uh, very different experiences in both. It was my first visit to Saudi Arabia. Uh, but this is a country that is preparing to emerge onto the global stage. Uh, they are changing rapidly, uh, really rapidly, uh, adopting uh, progressive um uh, strategies around how they're building their cities and uh you know looking ahead uh, more so than maybe looking uh, behind and uh also uh, I wanted to let you know that uh Benson uh was there as well in in Almedina uh we we do work closely together so it was fabulous and maybe he'll share uh, during our conversation conversation today some of his insights on 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 that visit um so <clears throat> Uh, what took me there, by the way, was uh, urban tech-related activities and some work. Um, and, you know, the Middle East and and the Gulf states in particular are very active in building uh, better communities and better cities. So uh, a lot of work uh, going, going on there. So let's get the conversation started. And I'm actually going to start with you, Benson, um, if yes. you could. If you wouldn't mind, I, I wanted to kind of get from you to set the stage a little bit you know, how you would sort of rate and evaluate the state of, of urban tech in, in cities today. Uh, you know, what, what are you seeing as you work with, with cities uh, uh, all over the place?
3: I think the, uh, in terms of the, the state of tech, it's kind of all, all over the place. Uh, Various from city to city, large cities, small cities. You know, when, when people talk about, hey, let's go and do all these smart city things, I would say, well, you know, you've got to look at your your base infrastructure. A lot of this tech really uh, is it needs to be modernized. Needs to be outdated. There's certain things that they just keep the lights running, but they're you know uh, they haven't changed in quite a while, right? Because hey, it works. Uh, why should we change it? I said so there's a lot of that, and it's not unlimited budget or resources out there. And so when you go to f- uh, f- the larger cities. In some areas they're surprisingly up to date In other parts of the city, boy, you know, they're still running, you're still running that, <laughs> you know? you know. So, so it's, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, so there's not any one statement you can say, oh, you know, they're all up to date or no, they're not up to date. You'll see some cities that are saying, you know, we need to uh, move some workload off into the cloud, right? So they're, they're making some good progress there and there's others that they haven't started that journey. So when we talk about the current state, uh, it really depends. Yeah, within the cities, they themselves have quite a quite a bit of variability or variation. And if you look from large cities to small cities, the, the larger cities tend to have a larger budget. Of course, they have more more resources, so they tend to be a little further ahead. But I wouldn't say that you know those way far ahead. I think you had to be pretty visionary to to kind of plan and and, and think that far ahead. Uh, but generally, it's it's uh, it, it varies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good points. It's, it's what I'm seeing as well. Uh, Randall, from your perspective, how, how would you rate where we're at in terms of the movement? you know, the adoption of, of tech and new tech in our cities? Do you think we're, we're at the beginning? Are we midway through? Are we near the end? How wh- how would you think about where we're at with cities getting to a good place?
4: Um, it's a very interesting question, Jonathan. I think, uh, you know, uh, cities using technologies is always going to be a continuous process Um, Because if you think of cities, cities comprise of several different agencies and each of these agencies have a different activity, purpose or system that they're using to kind of use technology to help their business activities. Um, Some of these systems uh, were implemented 10 years back, some 20 years back and some as recent as five years. Right. So you're going to see a different level of maturity. And uh the system that that was in, in implemented perhaps twenty years back or fifteen years back may not have the kind of interesting capabilities that you want to have today, mm-hmm. so uh, they are pretty much getting ready for modernization so you know when, when you look at cities, I think you have to kind of uh, like Benson said, look at large cities, look at small cities. But then once you start looking inside the cities, you also need to think about when did they start embracing technology, and you know every one of them between the departments could be a different stage. So there's some of those operational inside-facing things that needs to happen. But again, like Benson said, there's a lot of external-facing things that you could also be doing. For for example, you know, while a city may not be as advanced in doing some of their internal technology efforts, they may have very good infrastructure outside. They may be using some smart technologies. So these things don't necessarily always correlate to each other, but they're all kind of interrelated in some form or shape.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean?
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm wondering here because we were talking about technology, and we used the, the the move to a cloud as as a sign of transformation, and and I'm just wondering is that a technological sign of becoming a smart city, <laughs> or, or or do we need to actually reach a certain level before we can then turn that infrastructure into something smart or or mm. kind of what, what's that flow? Well, actually, let, let, okay.
2: let me take a stab oh, yeah, at we'll that, too.
1: That. <laughs> well, I'm, well. I'm playing the CIO role
2: here, because Michael Peggys wasn't able to join us. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to Benson and Ronell's perspective on this uh, as well. Uh, cloud computing was an interesting choice that you used sort of to as a way of defining, perhaps, where City is. Uh, and I'll tell you my quick story. I w- as. I think most a lot of people know I was the CIO and CTO for the city of Palo Alto here in uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, joined in about 2011, and you know, one of the reasons I was hired was to help the city and, and the city staff think differently about how you could use tech to to drive some of our uh, you know uh, solve some of our problems and and and, and uh, get the kind of outcomes that we the community was looking for. And so they wanted me to have a pretty progressive and bold agenda, um, which we did. And, and there were two principles among some others. There was two core principles. One would be that we would be a cloud-first city and we would be a mobile-first city. And mobile in this case, I'm referring to uh, like apps and, and mobile phones, not, uh, not uh, transportation. And, and so uh, back in 2011, by the way, these two concepts uh, in, a, in a public sector context were still very cutting edge um in the private sector you know there there was already a lot of progress public sector not not so much and i want to super focus here on the cloud computing piece because what i found was you know like a typical city we had a data center full of servers and, and all the hardware that typically you'd find on premises that would provide the services for for the organization and like so many cities, uh, the, a lot of the servers were out of date. A lot of, a lot of them hadn't been patched or uh, didn't have their service packs. The software was old. They, they were not on the current versions. And in every way, it was, it was expensive. It was difficult. And, of course, we had all the limitations. And I said, my thesis was probably cloud computing was a good solution for government because we're not experts at that stuff. And there's always too many priorities uh, why don't we effectively, in quotes, outsource our applications um, and really focus on the higher value work like project management and and communications and, and and the data science work that needed to be done. Like, let's shift over a period of time our work to those areas and, as an IT organization. Um, and again, it was, you know, back in 2011, it was pretty novel. Uh, so, you know, over the course of the next few years, we did move a lot. I, uh, when I left in 2018, I think, we were up at about eighty percent of of all IT was was cloud based, um, and I came to the conclusion that cloud was one of the greatest gifts for government that we could do higher value work, um, and and not have to worry about the patching and the upgrades and the and the security and the support and everything that goes with having uh, running your own data center. Now it's not for everything and it's not for every entity, uh, but I think to get to the point here. Uh, a public sector entity that does move and have a very uh, progressive cloud strategy is on the right path, and I'm, I'm very supportive of that. So, René or Benson, agree, disagree, or do you have a different perspective? I would, I would
4: completely agree with you, Jonathan. I think um, you know a lot of a lot of the cities are uh, they do not have enough IT resources. You know, uh, I mean, if you're a big county or if you're a big city, then you have a big IT staff, but otherwise, I mean, I know. For a fact, in a lot of the cities close to where I live, there's like anywhere from two to 10 people who are IT staff. So if you have two to 10 people as IT staff, how are they going to provide you tech support, uh, cloud migration strategy, IT strategy, and all the innovation things that we're thinking about? It's going to be quite hard to do that. So I do feel that any kind of technological advancement where you don't have to manage a lot of operational infrastructure is a good thing. Why do why should people be aware of, hey, I need to make sure that I have the best servers every three years so that I have to keep up to date with all that knowledge? All I need to all I need to know is can I get the computing or storage or whatever requirement that I need for my application? I don't need to know if I have the latest server, the best memory, or whatnot. And therefore, I think embracing cloud is definitely the right direction for cities, especially when you're starved with resources. And and that takes away the you know their busy time and you know allows them to start thinking about how can I actually help citizens or how can I how can I make some of these things automated where someone doesn't have to wait for so many days before something actually happens, right? That's where we all want to get to. Mm-hmm.
3: Although I, th- I think if you look at where the cloud is today and where it was say back in 2010, uh, Jonathan, you know I think at that time uh, you know it, it was relatively new, it was novel. Uh, you know from a, a, a technology company perspective, you know, there are, are some companies that, you know, they know that that's where this is headed, but they don't want to sell you the cloud, right? Part of it was they still have their traditional mm-hmm. business model. They want to sell their stuff. So they're afraid of, of disrupting what they have, right? So they're afraid to kind of push that. And in fact, I worked on, at one company where I was, uh, you know, part of the team to uh, create uh, our version of, of the cloud. Now, you know, internally, yeah, you know, the, the sales team didn't want to sell that, right? Because it was it would disrupt what they were selling before instead of getting, selling something for $10,000, not to have to sell for, you know, a couple hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. So it disrupts their stuff. Uh, but then I think the other thing was that the technology was still emerging, right? So people were saying, hmm, is the cloud safe? Is the cloud, you know, do we trust it? Yeah. And don't they don't like to go down too early, right? To take a chance too early because there's only limited budget, and they may be stuck down a path, and they may not be able to recover from that if they spent it too early. So they kind of took a wait and see. But if you look at where it is today, it's obvious the cloud is the right choice—not the right choice, but a a good choice—and right, allow cities to to innovate and do a lot more than they could. But back then, it really wasn't obvious. And if you we. we extrapolated to, say, newer technologies today, they're kind of running the same thing. Right? The The vendors themselves that are not, uh, you know, that could get disrupted, they don't want to sell those things right, until they get their fl- version of it. Cities may not want to bite too soon because, is this going to last or is it not going to last? Is this company going to survive or is it not? So they're kind of weighing those. <clears throat> Over time, uh, the cloud has made a huge difference and, and cities should... At least have plans to monitor these new types of uh, technology developments, so they could, you know, take advantage of it at the right time.
4: Now, having said that, I will tell you, I have come across several examples in the past, in my previous life, where uh, the client, in this case, I had a lot of cities uh, and counties with whom I was working. They would insist on having an on on premise version of whatever application they're going after, because they were like, you know, cloud is all good, but I want my source code. In my, in my facility, in my data center or in my machine out here. Now, that has changed drastically in the last five years because we've all seen the widespread adoption. So, I don't think there's as much of that fear that, hey, I need to have a source code. If I'm spending so many millions of dollars, I want to make sure I have that source code next to me. Uh, and there are others who think that, hey, you know, once you start making configuration changes customization to some of these things then what does that mean you know if i if i'm on the cloud that means i'm going to have to be i'll be forced to use features that they ask me to use versus i want features that i signed up for in my procurement process right so there's a little bit of that misunderstanding that also led to some of these things so it's getting better and better um, but again cloud is just one technology i think there's several things that we all need to be looking at to kind of really say that are we moving the right direction from a technology perspective for cities and counties?
2: Yeah, I can I can validate that very point. Uh, I you know I've been mean the CIO or CTO or actually a senior IT leader in you know, three organizations, and in the early days of cloud, it really was about uh, the data center uh, leaders and admin staff and other related you know staff who were reluctant. They they. Uh, it, it was it was felt like it felt like a loss of control. You know, we, we don't we don't have the uh, uh, systems uh, in our building that we can actually go and look at and touch and access you know directly um, in the way that they historically. But that, as you say, culture is, has definitely shifted. Um, <clears throat> talking of cloud, since we got there, you know, what are some of the uh, solutions, maybe even mainstream solutions that cities are adopting? that are quite common now uh, from, from a cloud provisioning point of view. Uh, Benson, you want to take that?
3: Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think a lot of the compute, right, is you could say is, is one area where, you know, let's just say it's tax processing season, right? Tax season, and you know, yeah. that you need more, which is coming up. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you need more more capability, more processing capability to handle that workload. So it's kind of natural to to take those applications and, and offload that to the cloud to support uh, mm-hmm. you know, what, what you need, right? Because the rest of the time this year, you don't really need as much compute. Uh, and so that's an example of something. You know, like the, the retail equivalent would be the holiday season, right? Most right. of the business picks up at the end of the year. And so same thing for, for the city's tax season. Is one example, one big one, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: I, I also think, uh, you know, for, for cities, um, you know, especially if they're, if there's test environments and training environments and things like that that need to be stood up uh, for various kinds of projects, that's a great, great uh, uh, opportunity to kind of, you know, reduce costs and have some flexibility in your capacity. Um, so, so I think uh, in addition to your, you know, classic applications, I think there's also an infrastructure opportunity uh, where the cloud can become very useful for cities to take advantage of.
2: Mm,
1: great points, um, Sean. I, I just quickly one of the things I was hoping we could cover in this conversation. It'll be we'll have to do it with words. We'll have to paint with words here, kind of what the the technical landscape looks like. So we talked about the tech, right, or the cloud, sorry. But what what does it take to create a smart city? I'll just throw a couple of things out, like sensors, IoT. So, what what are all the elements, and where do those come from?
4: So, you brought up a very really interesting, uh, uh, no. uh, yeah. So, so, so smart city. If you think of smart cities, um, it's more than just one technology, right? Because when you start looking at smart cities, you want to look at the services and operations that a city is doing, as well as what citizens are experiencing on the outside. So, what that means is now you're talking about buildings, campuses, roads, many, many things that encompass a city. So, what we did was, uh, in, in our company, uh, we started looking at, you know, how does innovation labs help with an effort like this? So, with a lot of our clients, what we have done is we have pitched the idea of setting up an innovation lab, and this innovation lab can then be used to bring Uh, an ecosystem of vendor partners. You can bring use cases. You can marry them together and see which problems that a city or a county or a municipality is facing, how those can be solved in a controlled manner, and then you can scale it out. So, if you want to explore smart city technologies, one of the approaches we have advised our clients is to take an innovation lab approach. And, and, And a live example is Uh, One of our clients, uh, a Bay Area County, we helped them set up an innovation lab about four years back. Uh, We did a bunch of different use cases around parking, uh, street lights, air quality networks, location analytics, many, many different things that you traditionally see in a smart city. And we were able to see whether these um, use cases were giving us the desired results or not. And from that spun out uh, a project that's two year long uh, for a smart corridor. So two different cities, uh, between two cities, there's a, a road transformation effort going on. And in the, on this road transformation effort, we are now putting in um, smart trash bins, smart streetlights. Uh, we're putting in Wi-Fi. We're putting in fiber. We're putting in signage so people can go and uh, kiosk so people go and, can go and interact uh, for information so and forth. So there's many layers that needs to be built out to kind of get to the eventual goal but one of the one of the aspects we tell everybody is you know start with an innovation lab, start with the capability, develop it out, and then see how that can be used to address some of the business problems that you're facing within your city
3: hmm.
4: yeah
3: I want to kind of build off of that a little bit. I think uh, when we say smart city, right so what does that mean right So I think that you know, there are are, are like 200 definitions. Right? You can come up with every different one and you know, there's no shortage of technology vendors will bend that definition to their their needs. Right? But you know, is having uh, connected streetlights, does that make you a smart city? Yeah, sure it does. But how about uh, integrating and connecting all your internal processes? Does that make you a smart city? Sure, that does. right? Uh, does having uh, fiber and, and running public Wi-Fi through the city makes you a smart city? Yeah, it probably is too. So depending on... on your goals and outcomes. You know, when you when we say smart city, people will have very different definitions of what a smart city is, right? So you could, you know, so people may think, oh, there's the the Internet of Things portion of it, right? You get your sensors, sensors connect to the cloud, right? and maybe that that data that's collected from the sensors is then mined and, and processed and allows you to do some interesting things with machine learning and get some interesting outcomes. But there's also the other part, which is your internal processes, right, where you're taking some of that information, you're integrating those processes, uh, and you're, you're digitizing the non-digital processes before. You're making services service available uh, uh, through a web browser so someone can access it, uh, you know, uh, over the internet. So that that's also a smart city. Right? So it's a very broad term. Uh, I, I think one of, one of the things that I always tell people is, you know, when we say a smart city, people don't always understand, Or if you talk to a mayor of a city about they say, well, I don't want to build a smart city because I I will never get elected building a smart city, but I, I will get elected by building a responsive city. Right? And maybe this is where the technology comes in to allow you, know, you to become much more responsive to do things faster. Streetlight goes out, you can replace it faster. Or um, you know, when the pandemic hit, which I thought was a huge driver, huge accelerator, all of a sudden you have to deliver services over the internet because people can't come to City Hall anymore. Right. So all of a sudden that's, a, that's uh, some of those initiatives are smart city initiatives, although we don't, we don't necessarily associate it with sensors, it was a very broad term. but. Uh, yeah, you know, some of the things that we're talking to here urban tech allows the city to be much more responsive and agile to whatever comes down that like meets the needs of the citizens whether it's the better better more effective uh, government services or new services or um or allow them to be much more resilient to respond to a, say an emergency or a health epidemic right something like that so uh, I think that term "smart city" is used quite broadly,
4: <laughs> very broadly, and I think we we so, get a whole bag of stuff with it. I think it really depends on you know who is initiating the smart city initiative within a city or a county, and what we have seen. Uh, so, so I'll give you I'll give you a background on this. So, when we start off our efforts four years back, we did a scan of 28 cities, 18 cities in the U.S. and 10 cities internationally. We looked at what was their overall um, strategy for smart city. What did they do in terms of the top five or ten use cases they adopted? Uh, what kind of financing or funding mechanism did they bring in play? What kind of partnerships did they get into it, with telecom companies or utility companies? And then what kind of skills did they bring in? So we did that kind of preliminary analysis to find out, uh, you know, what's really going on out. And what we observed was in some cities you had the CIO like folks like Jonathan who had the foresight and vision to kind of take certain things and move ahead with it. In other areas, we saw public works playing a primary role because a lot of construction work and road kind of work, those things are done by public works. So there are some, you know, leaders out there who had who are a little bit more comfortable adopting technology and they took the charge and they started moving some of these things. So you are going to find a mixed bag of different folks leading the smart city charge in these cities. What I personally feel is that you almost want to look at some of the smart city in- initiatives similar to what IT and how IT developed over a period of time. Because the need for that is there in every agency and there's a need at an aggregate level. So everybody has to do a little bit to move forward, but eventually they need to be done in an integrated fashion. So if I'm, going to bo- if I'm going to go set up an air quality network somewhere all over the city, and then I'm going to put smart trash bins somewhere, then I'm going to put something else somewhere. The question is, do I want to do this in isolation? Or do I, do, do I want to do this in an integrated fashion so that eventually when I want to collect all that data and start cross tabulizing them or using them in a meaningful manner, it's easy for me. I don't have to go then and unplug everything and figure out, okay, gee, what do I do now? So, so that's kind of the puzzle that we have out here. You have uh, CIOs taking charge. You have public works kind of folks taking charge in other places. You'll find vendors coming and saying, hey, let me tell you how to become a smart city. So why don't you put a few of these things? And of course, some cities do not know enough to make good judgment. So they may say, "Okay, let's go ahead and try some of these things out. So they go halfway through and they they get disillusioned and they may not spend any more money. Right. So you see a a lot of that happening. One of our goals is to try and educate people on how to approach smart cities more efficiently. We have a smart city framework that we developed. Uh, which has made various layers. It has an innovation layer at the top. And as you go down, it has technology layer, networking layer, and so on and forth. And as Benson mentioned, our intention is always outcome-based. We have about seven or eight different outcomes that we talk about. Quality of life, sustainability, public safety. As long as one of these outcomes are being met, no matter what you do within the framework, you know it's going to add value, right? But smart city, like every other technology type initiative, Uh, requires various pieces. It requires a strategy. It requires people. It requires processes. It requires structure. And all of these things take time. So we are at that stage where, uh, you know, five years back when we would go and talk about smart cities to a CIO, he would say, that's a buzzword. We don't really care too much about it. Today, five years later, we're seeing RFPs floating around saying, I want to build a smart city strategy. We're looking for experts to come and tell us what to do. We want people to know what's the trends. Where should we invest in? Where should we not invest in? Mm -hmm. So it's a a little bit of a fluid stage. And, you know, my belief is that, um, you know, in the United States, especially, you know, most of the cities are not large cities. There's only like 10, 20 cities that are super large. All the other cities are small and middle cities. How do we get those cities to be smart, efficiently? That's what we should be
2: after. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Uh, I I appreciate all the examples and everything. Thank you. Thank you for that. Let's kind of move the conversation along. Uh, and you kind of touched on it a little bit there towards the end of your comments, uh, Renel which is, you know, what are the bigger tech bets that sh- that cities should be co- thinking about uh, to invest in now that'll start to pay dividends in the next three to five years and beyond? You know, what, what are the tech that they may not be thinking about that they ought to be thinking about? Benson?
3: Uh, I'll start with uh, a couple. I think, uh, you know, it's not new, but I think it's become much more important. Cybersecurity. Mm. I think that that uh, you know, as we get more connected, as we automate more processes, we integrate more things, more systems, right, whether it's internally or externally, uh, cybersecurity is, is top of mind, right? So we've, we've all heard about the ransomware uh, attacks, uh, you know, and they're continuing to happen. So I think that's an, an area that, uh, you know, it's not new, it, it's old, but I think we need to pay a lot more attention to it and probably go big much bigger with it. Uh, That's kind of one area. Uh, Another area is, um, uh, you know, robotic process automation. A lot of uh, different processes that can be accelerated, can be sped up, and, you know, there's not enough resources to do everything. So that's another area uh, that I
2: think they can go big with, you know, in, in select
3: areas. Um,
2: maybe maybe just elaborate a little bit. I, I don't know that uh, yeah. RPA is that well understood beyond, you know, yeah. us uh, geeky folks.
3: <laughs> yeah. So so basically, it, it's really just the way to say, you know, there are some processes that you do over and over again, right? Yeah. So maybe uh, some of those things that you could get uh, software to go and, and automate. Uh, for example, let's just say you're uh, processing payments, right? And you're trying to detect uh, or, or, you know, or... Taking invoices from different vendors, right? How do you know is, is it fraudulent or not, right? So that's very common. So I mean, you could use software and ideas. Use software to scan all the invoices coming in, match it up against your say uh, existing contracts and in, uh, vendors, and see if there, there's indeed uh, it's a valid invoice. In fact, you know we routinely get invoices that are submitted by these sham businesses that say, "Hey, you know, uh, here's an invoice for 50 dollars," <laughs> right? And I'm looking at that. I, I place no such order, right? And, and they do that. <laughs> Imagine at a city level, they get thousands of these, right? So um, now if you kick it over to, say, finance or accounts uh, payable to look at it. It's a lot of work for them to do it, right? And they're just hoping for someone to just fall for it and just pay for it. Now, you can automate that process of scanning and comparing the inbound invoices with, you know, who you have uh, on, on, uh, on contract then you, you can quickly scan out those, those uh, sham invoices, right? Same thing for, for making payments to someone as well, right? Uh, you know, or like, uh, like uh, what is it? Uh, people on, on assistance payments, right? So yeah. there, there are a lot of uh, a fraud in, in that area, right? So for example, the health center, so the, uh, the public health department can use that to determine who's entitled to a service, who isn't. Right. so that's a way to, to automate that process. So that's an example of robotic process automation. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, that's well, a new thing, right? I think it's it's not like you have um, it's not like we have infinite resources, right? So any time we can go and uh, automate some common process, that's that's uh,
2: that that's a huge saving. That could redeploy yeah. the people could
3: work on something else. So that's
2: yeah. a PA. It's a great suggestion. You know, as I think about what a lot of the back office. Uh, work that's done in cities. When I think about it, 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 it often it's repetitive. It's important work, mm-hmm. but it's it is uh, repetitive. So RPA, I think, is a strong fit in government, and uh, I, I'm confident that the RPA vendors are probably building some good businesses out of it. Uh, Rena, what what other tech? Uh, Benson gave us two. Yeah, you know, what are yours? I was I was going to say, um, you know, some some form
4: of connectivity infrastructure that is seamless across the city. Um, wired and wireless, perhaps, right? Because um, you know, in in, in some cases, it it's going to be it's going to be uh, easy to do um, wireless infrastructure, than wired infrastructure, because you know you can't pull uh, a fiber cable in every part of the city. But if you can, maybe that's what you need to do. But I think on the wireless side, you know, you have a couple of different options. You have uh, you know you have technologies like five G, which is offering you you know high bandwidth. Um, you know, lots of options to, you know, stream video content and things like that. But at the same time, you may not need a 5G network for every use case for a smart city, right? So uh, if all I'm trying to do is uh, send uh, trash can fill information level, or or, or I just need to send information whether my street light is on or off, I perhaps need very uh, small bandwidth, right? To kind of send that information. So you could potentially, some kind of a hybrid model that has, uh, connectivity infrastructure for you know small packets of information as well as you know high volume of data. I think that's important for a city to consider. Um, Benson and I had worked on uh, an IoT municipal blueprint uh, uh, as a part of a working group a couple of years back, and we kind of recommended how if a city wanted to build out uh, a municipal uh, IoT network, here's some options that you could go after. Now all of these things always are going to have conflict with hey, do I do this on my own? or do I just take the service from a private provider? And uh, that is a hard question. In most cases, you want to take it from somebody else because of the reasons that we spoke about earlier, you don't want to maintain, operate, manage, and do all of those things. But, you know, if if there's new areas where maybe there's not enough service providers to offer you those services, perhaps you do want to try and build some, you know, hybrid model where you invest in building out some infrastructure. For example, if you have... If your city is in a coastal area or if your city in some you know, specific area where the regular traditional providers are not invested, have not invested money to bring you very good last mile connectivity, what do you do, right? So maybe you have to proactively invest as a city out there and in some infrastructure and see how you can fill that gap. Uh, so I think connectivity is, is something that's really important. Uh, then I feel the other part is, you know, a lot of these new technologies where we're using voice, uh, we're using phone apps. Um, you know, there's there's spots of that that cities have adopted. Like I know I live in Fremont, and you know when I when I go to Lake Elizabeth for a walk, I see these little uh, nice QR codes where I can you know if there's something not working with the park or if I found something not functioning, I can take a QR code and I can send that information, and somebody in Fremont is going to look at it, right? Uh, so so there's those kinds of advancements happening. Uh, it's just not it's not proliferated enough. I feel there's more and more opportunities for us to kind of do that kind of, uh, you know, uh, resident-facing or customer-facing opportunity. Right now, it's almost like I really have to think, if I have to do something in the city, I have to think through, okay, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? If I don't have prior experience, I have to navigate my way out into that thing, right? So I think there's a little bit of an opportunity for us to uh, make some of those processes better.
1: And Jonathan, I I want to, take it to you with the similar question if I can, because, mm-hmm. uh, well, I guess I'm wondering how important is it that whatever gets built has sizzle and, and pizzazz and, and touches the citizen or the visitor of the city versus how much of it is infrastructure? And then how does that, maybe some technologies there and how do, how mm-hmm. does that decision get made? Yeah. Well, we, we
2: unfortunately don't get to choose. We got to do both. You know, we got to do the, the stuff that touches people in a very important way, you know, improves their lives. And we have to do the back end boring infrastructure stuff, too. <laughs> we have to do both. Uh, the cities that that make progress and are making progress right now are those that have a good digital infrastructure. Everything what Renell was just saying, you know, they've got a good fiber infrastructure. They got good, strong wireless, um, you know, uh, access to the Internet is is uh reaches into almost every part of the community uh that's essential uh and then on the back end you know having the um the systems and the staff to to support that and and uh you know provide power to things that run the the water system and the the traffic signaling system all that stuff needs to be in place i'm not as uh you know uh, if you like bullish on sort of uh the sizzle as you say um uh, what i'm because it's not going to take a lot to impress communities you know the, um i say this with uh, great affection for the space and for cities and, and government the bar unfortunately is a, is a little low and and so we we've got to do some you know core basic stuff and, and we'll impress our communities you know uh pe- people want uh you know, they, they they want good access to the internet. They they want high-speed internet to, to reach everybody. Uh, they want to be able to do more of their services digitally, right? They there's there's a growing segment of society now who expects to interact with organizations exclu- exclusively on their phones, right? And and if you're a, an organization, a major one like a government, and you don't do that, I mean, it's it, it's it's not even. That you're not meeting expectations. It's like, uh, it's, it's, um, unacceptable, you know, for a lot of people, right? Um, so I think, I think there's an awful lot to be said about, you know, good quality, uh, infrastructure across the board, uh, digitalization. Uh, it's got a long way to go. It's a multi trillion dollar opportunity, as we know, about $2.4 trillion worth of opportunity by 2025 alone, and it'll only grow from there. Um, I also think that cities need to get into the data business. They've been really late in this. And uh, those that have hired talent, chief data officer and data analysts, and have brought in tools, and they understand what data they have and how to use it, are making better decisions. You know, they're making better decisions about priorities and how to serve people better. Uh, So, you know, I, I would argue that it's important that we we invest uh, heavily there. Um, if I was to throw in, by the way, I do this often just to kind of throw everyone off. When I'm asked about, you know, what cities should be investing in and where's, you know, what's one of the big techs, uh, my, my answer is always surprised. I say bicycles. I say bicycles. Um, it, it's hard to find uh, an alternative uh, technology. And I call bicycles a technology, you know, e-bikes and and on-demand bicycles uh, and all sorts of bicycles. I, I I, it's hard hard pressed to find a technology that is easy to roll out. Pardon the pun. Plus, it has a massive impact—a massive impact on the entire community in so many different ways, from health to transportation to clean air, you know, to um, to convenience, you know, and beyond. So, the cities around the world that are building bike lanes and safe bike lanes, by the way, safe bike lanes, um, and are supporting cyclists and taking care of their kids and all uh, well, that that type of thing that's related to it, making the cities more cycle, psych- cyclical? cycleable, cyclical? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <Cyclical>. easy, <laughs> easy, to cycle, rideable, writ- writ- e- <laughs> easy, writ- easy to write <laughs> <laughs> are are notable and are making are making a difference in in their communities. Um, let, let's uh, let's ask, uh, um, move to uh, Benson and Ronell again, in terms of the work that you guys have. Uh, done some excellent work in and and continue to be leaders around, which is this idea of innovation labs. Uh, Now you've spoken a little bit about it previously. I, you know, we've, we've got that on the, on tape, but maybe just to kind of dive deep again, because it ties into this, you know, as we think about cities adopting tech and making sure the tech is right. And, you know, we figure out how to roll it out. Talk about the role of innovation labs and, and what it'll take for more cities to go that direction. That's yeah, it. You know, I'll I'll start with uh, let's define
3: what an innovation lab is, right? Because when when we talk about innovation lab, I think um, you know people go to a, a certain place and say, oh, you know, this is what it is. Right? But but you you think about it, you know, innovation lab is really a. Uh, I call it a pro- problem solving black box. You've got problems that come in, you've got a group of innovators and problem solvers that work together with the people that have the uh, you know the issues. Uh, you've got an ecosystem of say uh, vendors or solutions uh, providers that can help with that. and they all work together to come up with a solution uh, and they then they in this lab they would then test it out whether it's a live environment on the streets or maybe it's inside a lab and they test the viability of it. But, and then what comes out of it is a a proven or tested solution that to a particular set of problems, right? And so that's, you know, when you ship away all the technology and all the different things, that's what an innovation lab's supposed to do. Right? Problems come in, a, a bunch of people work together to, to address it, to solve it, they test it out. And what comes out is something that's, uh, that's, that can be, say, as proven, they can go to procurement or they can be scaled up, right? And that's really, you know, our definition of innovation lab. Now, what you do in there—that's a lot of—that's really the secret sauce. Right? It's the methodologies, it's the ecosystem of innovators and solutions providers that you that you uh, bring together, as well as the internal partnerships with the city departments and the external partners that work together, collaborate. Right. So that's kind of at a high level. That's what a innovation lab is. Right. So setting that up is really setting up this capability. Now when we also talk about innovation lab we say oh wow you know so for a city to get involved uh, then we need to build out a lab yes you need to to do have some kind of capability uh and then they say well then should i push all the problems into an innovation lab to solve and they say yeah you know the innovation lab is a catalyst They they come in they they work on certain problems uh, and then they come up with solutions and, and do that but a large city or even any city they have more problems than the innovation lab can handle. And so really uh, the skills and capabilities that the innovation lab develops, they should push that down into each of the city departments so they can also be innovators. And then that frees up the lab to work on more complex problems where they can go a little deeper. And then over time, uh, some of those problems get pushed or capabilities get pushed down to the departments. Right? In this way, the innovation lab is continue to innovate. The cities have developed the capability so they can continue to innovate and they have their own ability. Uh, but at the end of the day, the innovation lab is this catalyst that allows us to you know, look for these uh, uh, problems. And I think, as you say, uh, Jonathan, you, you, you try to solve 20th century problems or 21st century solutions, right? And in some ways, the innovation lab brings this capability to solve these problems in new ways. Uh, Now, innovation isn't necessarily about technology, although located in Silicon Valley, we mostly associate it with technology, but you can solve problems through, uh, you can innovate with policies, new ways of, uh, or processes or new ways of delivering a service. so those are all examples of of, uh, uh, what you can do in an innovation lab and how you can innovate, uh, not just with technology, although technology will uh, facilitate and enable that, but you don't always need technology to innovate
2: yeah yeah and if i could ask you maybe Renel, to take the second part of this um and, and and be a little succinct because we're we want to ca- get in a few more items before we wrap up today which is um what, what's holding cities back why 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 don't we see every city jumping into this it's it makes so much sense
4: primarily i think uh, you know i think we spoke a little bit about awareness that you know everyone is on the same level of understanding what smart city is and what technology can do for you uh the second big piece is funding these things require money, and you know you probably know better than everybody else. The two-year budget cycle. So, if you want to uh, plan any projects, you have to think two years ahead. First of all, to even think about the project, forget about appro- getting approvals, and so on and forth. So, who's going to fund it? How is the money going to come? And uh, you know, how am I going to associate tangible results with it? So, what we have seen in some of our clients is that you know initially CIOs or whoever directors uh, who are willing to invest in this approach they may pony up a little bit of money to start putting a few things. And if they see results, they start increasing the budget for that more and more. And and and, and further ahead, when they see that these things are creating more value, they can now start thinking about, okay, what should we do from a long, uh, sustainable perspective? So, our suggestion has always been, you know, you want to eventually get your departments to keep half a percentage or 1% of their budget for innovation. Because you cannot keep catching up with legacy modernization forever you need to be ahead of the curve mm-hmm. private companies are already doing that public sector is just not doing that because culturally you're not the mindset is not there we always use 95% of all money for operations <laughs> you know i mean let's mm-hmm. put aside some money for innovation right so that's kind of the um, the, the that's what we are advocating uh, in most cases and one more thing i wanted to, i just want to add on to what benson was saying You know, you're going to have these ecosystem of partners, you're going to have problems. The important thing is to have what we call innovation champions. So if you're working in a city or a county, like I said, you know, a city and a county, there are like, you know, a dozen different business lines working together, right? Doing their own thing. And so it's important to create an innovation champion type profile or role in every agency who can actually be the person who's collecting the problem sets and then deciding, is this something that we should collaborate with the innovation lab or is this something that's in-house? Because there's a lot of in-house work that you, you just need to get your, clean up your stuff first before you go out and start exploring innovation, right? So there's that that part also that has to be managed carefully. And that's another beast by itself. Um, so, so that's mm-hmm. the other thing I wanted to highlight there.
1: Yeah, I want to use this moment uh, quick. I know, Jonathan, we're getting close to the end, but just... Just a quick thought, maybe Benson can chime in on this. How does a citizen's voice get heard in all of this? Because there's no lack of technology. Um, Engineers want to build stuff. Cities might get a wild hair and and decide they want to actually implement a smart city program. And how how does a citizen's voice come into that? how do they say this is what i want for my city do they have to visit other cities can they visit an innovation labs to see what's possible or and then how do they communicate that
3: yeah you know the um, citizens don't always know you know like hey i'm, I'm going to go to the next city over and i want exactly that sometimes they do right if the city happens to have that but they usually uh, they usually tell say what they want right they say, i just want an outcome i want this i want a, i want yeah. less crime i want uh a better transit options and, and they you know the best thing they can do is, is go through their city council city council members now not everyone's uh, going to go to the city council right some people may say especially people in the community they may say well you know i don't want to talk to them or well maybe they're an undocumented members in the community so they're afraid to, to speak up they can go through the communities. uh you know, um, they are non to service communities, so they can be the advocate and their voices. Right? The office of community affairs are other channels. So those are ways that they can they can uh, get their voices heard. And ultimately, I think uh, many cities have community engagement programs. Now, I'm not saying they always do it right, right? But uh, yeah, those are channels that they can go out to their community. Um, uh, and, and get the voices you know, heard, or the messages heard. So those are examples uh, of, of ways. Oh, you, know, you could still call City Hall. Right? That's very common. You'd send letters and emails. So people do that. Uh, and, and there are a lot of ways, but those are just ways. But they won't always know to ask, I want this kiosk. I want this uh, smart parking. They just say, hey, mm-hmm. I just want to go find a parking space. Well, oh, I, can, I can never find a parking space when I go there. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then, then, uh, those voices do get heard, right? So, as someone like a Jonathan would then say, "Oh, let's see, let's see if I can try understand the problem. Uh, no one can find a parking space, Then maybe people, people, people aren't moving the cars enough, right? Or maybe they don't know where the parking spaces are, and so then from there, you can push it into an innovation lab or some kind of innovation structure where then you come up with some ideas, uh, solutions, and test those out."
1: Yeah. That's, that seems Good. like the next logical step, Jonathan. Yeah, the infrastructure and then a communication channel. That would make a city smart. <laughs> bring, if they were both home. better, that's true. That's yeah, true. Bring us home.
2: We, um, we, uh, we ask all our guests this question. And uh, again, uh, s- uh, if you could succinctly answer it. Um, and, and you could be as broad in how you think about it. Uh, so I'll start with you, Renault. Uh, what needs to happen, in your opinion, to build a better society? Hmm.
4: I think there needs to be uh, a lot more um, transparency and collaboration between people who um, really want to do something for the society. Uh, I think this, this, this forum that you've invited us is a very interesting, revealing change for us. Uh, but I think there needs to be lots of nodes of these, right? There's only four of us. Uh, But what if there's, you know, hundreds of these nodes and we're all discussing how to make the society better? And then what if we all get connected? And from that, you know, comes a real outcome. Um, A lot of us talk about things in, in these forums, but then there's no action that comes out of it, right? Eventually, it's a good thought. It's a good, it feels good to talk about it, but then you don't really do anything. I mean, I'll give you an example. When we start off the smart city journey, um, you know, we were always asked, why are you guys doing Smart City? And I keep saying we're in Silicon Valley. We're known to be the creators of the most advanced technological apps or you name it. But you think about Smart Cities, we're behind. We're super behind. Why is that? Uh, nobody really cares that much. Perhaps no one has taken that initiative. And I told Ben, let's do it. <laughs> let's go and make it happen. It'll take us five years, six years, but let's make mm-hmm. a difference. So you got to do something about it. Right. And then see what happens.
2: Uh, so that's Good.
4: my perspective.
2: Good. Hey, Benson.
4: Yeah, uh, I mean it's
3: an interesting question. I, I take a f- few things. I think number one uh, is I think we have to just get involved. We have to participate. You see something, do something about it, right? See something, say something, do something, right? So <laughs> I think we all have to to do that, you know. And, and and over time, if enough people speak up or enough people do something, then we're going to slowly start to you know move the needle and start to do things. So that's one second thing i think is uh, we need to uh, and i think the pandemic has really sh- uh, highlighted this right we need to move away from me thinking to us thinking right so instead of thinking about ourselves only we need to think about the people around us uh, in a broader way right so i think i think that's another thing and then the third thing is i think we need to hold our leaders our you know city council our politicians you know even the people we work for accountable right so until we can hold them accountable, nothing's going to change. So it's really those those three things: participate, uh, uh, move, shift away from uh, me thinking to us thinking, uh, and hold people accountable, including ourselves.
2: Mm. Very nicely said, both of you. Both of you. Um, and by the way, I wouldn't uh, underestimate the power of uh, voice and talking. You know, maybe uh, maybe somebody who listens to this today or in the months ahead is inspired to take a different action. So, you never know the results of your words. Uh, so, uh, give give Absolutely. yourself some some credit. Uh, great dialogue today. Wonderful to have both you. We we covered a lot. We we focused uh, as as was the agenda on the tech elements of the smart city <laughs> movement. Um, we uh, heard from both Benson and Rennell the, the the power of of innovation of taking action. Of building innovation labs, you know, of being results oriented, um, we got deep into cloud computing and the value that cloud has for for cities. I think we we had a consensus that it's a it's a good direction and it's it is underway now. Although there was some uh, reservations early on in the, in the decade, perhaps or last decade, in in governments embracing cloud uh, entirely. Um, I think what I'm left with here is uh, you know a kind of reinforcement of the fact that you know creating better cities and a better society is multi-dimensional and you know tech has moved into the center but it's not the only thing but it is an important thing and we have to understand the technology too uh, as we move forward and build the other society so thanks very much to Renil and Benson
1: really appreciate you guys and I hand you back to uh, Sean yes thank you uh, Renil and Benson and Jonathan great uh, great conversation as always and I appreciate your your recap there I think yeah, the, the infrastructure is key and communication is key. And, and, and the points that both Rennell and Benson touched on are are super important uh, in terms of taking action. Um, great conversation around technology. I mean, there, there's so much there. We could spend hours and hours and hours, and who knows, maybe we will take a deeper yeah. dive in some of these points. Uh, so, a nice lead from what is a smart city in general terms? What's the tech that drives it? Hopefully, we as humans continue to control the reins of the technology there. Uh, we talked about outcome briefly, right? What's the outcome? That's really what the third episode here is about. What's the what's the long view of the potential outcome of all of this? Uh, who's going to take responsibility to shepherd this forward in a way that maps to our ethics and our morals and our policies, and do we need to change those things in any way <laughs> in order to live in a world with technology that, uh, that we all want and uh, my co-founder Marco is going to join Jonathan for that and I believe you have Leda Halhadrami Sakragani and Tia Kansara on for that episode I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to sitting in the wings on that one and, and embracing and, and absorbing all of that as to offer so um, again thank you three of you for joining us uh, best to Michael I will follow as well there and thanks everybody for joining us for the other society uh, stay tuned for the continuation of this series we have 50 topics lined up from quantum computing to ESG and everything in between um, stay with us hopefully these will drive the action that uh, Ray will talk to so thanks everybody see you on the next one
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Society. If you learned something new and this discussion made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology cybersecurity and society.